0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to see you all here. Um, Everyone on Faith Church Online, uh, if you can't hear the audio right now, we will post, well, she can't hear me anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, But we will post this later today. Um, So uh, this morning, uh, Pastor Derek asked me to preach um, while he is on a trip with his family. Um, And so he said I could choose whatever I wanted to preach on, um, which is always fun. Uh, So the Lord led me to uh, Daniel... 3, which is a great chapter, uh, one that my wife and I love very much, Um, and it's a story like Miss Debbie talked about, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, a billy goat. Um, If you know the VeggieTale video at all, that's kind of their take on it, Um, and Abednego, uh, the fiery furnace, Uh, but before we jump into chapter 3, I'm going to give you a little bit of historical and biblical background of chapters 1 and 2 before we get there, so it'll be really quick. Um, So at this time in history, um, it's about uh, just after the turn of the 6th century, so around 600, um, where the kingdom of Judah, which is a split nation between the kingdom of Israel, um, they split at one point back in history between Israel and Judah. So this is the kingdom of Judah um, who got taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. Um, So at this time, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king in Babylon. Um, and so he uh, ordered of the people of Judah to send some of their young men um, of royal blood and of noble birth, um, who were also intelligent, uh, good-looking, uh, wise, and knew how to learn um, and how to knack for language and the arts and all that stuff. And he ordered them to come serve him. Um, so he took the best of Judah's future and brought it to his palace in, into his kingdom. Um, and so among these men, we don't know who all of them were, but some of them were Daniel, who the book, uh, who is believed to be the author of Daniel. Um, there's a history behind all that. Most likely it was Daniel. Um, and then there's three other guys, um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, who was renamed in Babylon as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so that's where those names come from. Um, so from this time on, uh, Daniel and his three friends um, willingly chose to continue to serve um, the one true God. So he, uh, they were ordered by the king to eat of their food and drink of their wine. And this, is, uh, this story is not about whether drinking is good or bad, but the food and the wine was sacrificed to pagan gods. And so they chose not to partake of it and chose to only eat fruits and vegetables and water. Um, They did this out of conscience and out of respect for God. Um, And so that's about what the first chapter is about. And in the end, uh, they ended up looking better, were stronger, were more fit, and were a whole lot smarter than all the other young men um, who came. A lot of story behind that. So moving into chapter 2, we see King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, first dream. um, And it said it's a terrifying dream. Um, I don't know why, but it's just a huge statue. Um, and I guess he was scared of statues. I don't know. Um, But it's uh, the statue where the head is gold, uh, and then from top to bottom is silver, bronze, iron, and an iron clay mixture for the feet. Um, So he was scared to death of the statue and asked all of his wise men, magicians, uh, scholars in the land, um, what does this dream mean? And none of them had any idea what it was, so he ordered all of them to be killed, um, which is cool. Um, so, as the captain of his army was coming to kill Daniel in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's like, hold the phone, because they had phones 2,600 years ago. Um, he said, hold on. God has given me the interpretation of this dream. Just wait. Before you kill us, let me go to the king. So the king ordered them to come. Daniel interpreted the dream. Essentially, he said, You are the head of gold, your kingdom, and then everything below it as it gets stronger and metal are kingdoms that are coming after you. So he was scared to death. He's like, my kingdom's going to end because he just thought he was the greatest person ever to live. Um, But he thought Daniel was incredible. And so he said, the God of Daniel, not, you know, God most high, but the God of Daniel. So take that into note. We'll get back to that later. Is the God of God, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. And at the same time, he also promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And he promoted Daniel above them as well to oversee everything that happened. So Daniel was King Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. Um, Very trusted. So there's our history. Uh, Let's move into Daniel 3. Um, We're going to go over verses 1 through 7 just really quick. So uh, Debbie talked about this huge statue Made out of solid gold, 90 feet high, nine feet wide. I mean, that's an insane amount of gold. Um, and historians believe that the king, in his dream, you know, he was seen as the head of gold, and he's like, "Oh, that's wonderful. I'm the greatest thing to ever exist." So he builds a statue out of solid gold, just to say that I am still the greatest, and I will never be overthrown." And we don't know whether he believed he was actually ever going to die or not, but his pride. Sure showed that. Um, So, because of that, he ordered um, whenever there was music to be played, and let me read out of verse 5 and what this music is. uh, Excuse me, verse 4. And the herald, so the herald is just the mouthpiece of the king. um, The herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, I don't know what a trigon is, Um, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So the king essentially called his golden statue an idol, and he made it a god. Um, So obviously, idol worship is not okay. Um, But for everyone else in the empire, they're like, okay, so if we don't worship the god... we will be thrown into a fiery furnace if we do not. So under threat of death, um, not just imprisonment, but death, the people had to worship. So this is where we run into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Let's pick up at verse 8, and we will go from there. So it reads, Therefore, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! That you have set up. Um, so a group of Chaldeans is just a group of men who served the king. So it was their magicians, uh, excuse me, magicians, wise men, uh, prefects, uh, people who they deemed were smart and intelligent, and they served the king. And so certain Chaldeans came forward and said, "Hey, these Jews aren't worshiping you." Um, so come to find out, tattletaling was a thing that was happening back then, as well as today. Um, so it's at least 2,600 years old. Um, so don't think it's just your children that started it. Um, so when he goes to go to the king, they say, "Oh, king, live forever. You are the greatest to ever exist. Uh, then proceed to remind the king of his own decree because he needed reminding. I don't know. Um, then they bring up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And at the end of verse 12, they say, They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Uh, so let's take a look at King Neb's reaction. Um, He was very happy. So it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 13, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought up. They brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So the king brings the men before him. He questions them by asking them why they don't serve. Um, the king says, if you don't bow, or if you do bow down, everything will be fine. You're not going to be murdered. Um, but if you don't bow down, you will be cast into the fire of ruinous. Um And then he proceeds, he goes so far as to mock God by saying, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Because I am the greatest person to ever exist, right? So from this point on, and I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this. They knew the king wasn't going to change his mind, um, so, but at this moment, they knew they had a choice to make. They had. They could bow down and worship, and they could continue to live the rest of their life worshiping God. But for this one moment, just to save their life, they would give in, and they would continue to live. Or they could disobey the king, and they could continue to only serve God because they refused to worship anyone but him. Those are their two choices. Okay? Not a lot of in-between there. Um... So let's take a look at verse 16, what the men's response was to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. So these verses right here are really the ultimate response of faith to God. They willingly choose to say to the king's face, because we already know they have a little bit of rapport with the king, uh, because they've been promoted and they've worked in overseeing the province of, of Babylon, so I'm sure they've had contact with the king.) Um, And so they said, we have no need to answer you in this manner. The only reason they would say that is because they already knew the king knew what their answer was going to be. They said, you know that we serve God and God alone. Why are you even asking this question? We're not going to change our minds. We only serve him. And so they then proceed to say uh, the two possible outcomes with what is going to happen next. Um, And their first response as we see in verse 17, that this we sow, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So they tell the king, we know our God can save us. That's, that's not the question here. We have full faith and full confidence that God can save us. But they go on to say, but even, but if not so, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Um, there are times... In other translations, um, the one we use here at Faith Church is ESV, so English Standard Version. We really prefer this one quite a bit. It sits right next to the Greek very well. Um, That's why we use it a lot, um, from what a large portion of the Bible is written in. Um, Then there are other times uh, where some other translations, there's a phrase or a sentence that might just convey the meaning behind it a little bit better. And this is one one of those times where I think, it it just makes it a little bit easier for us to understand it. Um, So NASB and the NIV, so New American Standard Bible and New International Version, um, tell us in verse 18, but even if he does not. So that phrase right there, even if. I like that a little bit better, just English-wise, but if not. So even if. Um, So they knew that God could save them, but even if, He chose not to save them. They still would bow down and worship God to their last dying breath. Um, So, as far as I know, none of us have been under uh, the possibility of being thrown into a fiery furnace. Um, It doesn't happen often. Um, But I do know, and I can say this with pretty high confidence, that a lot of us have faced something. A lot of us have faced things that have seemed insurmountable. That seemed only an act of God, a miracle, could get us through or get us over. Um, and so whether that is uh, you've been trying for years and you still can't have kids, or you don't know if your, your parent is going to ever get into remission, or if your child is ever going to return home again. Um, whatever this thing is, it seems like a mountain that is just never going to move. And sometimes it just seems a little hopeless, you know. Um, But even if, even if God never moves it or helps us around it or helps us over it, are we still going to bow down and worship him? So let me give you a quick example from my life. Um, About a year and a half into marriage of Lindsay and I, we've been married for a little over six years, Um, about a year and a half in, we decided that we wanted to start having kids. Um, My wife, if you haven't met her, um, even, be- even before we had kids, she has a mother's heart that was put inside her and um, she, she just gets children and how to love them and care for them and raise them. I don't even know, it's, it's a God thing. He gave it to her, it's incredible. Um, I am a blessed husband <laughs> to be married to her. Um, so a year and a half when we started, we wanted to have kids. Um, we spent about a year trying, nothing was really happening. Um, so we went to the doctor to see if there was something going on, anything we could do. So they started us on uh, some infertility treatments, and they said, you know, let's take six months to a year to see if anything happens, um, but your chances are kind of slim. So we're like, okay, not going to give up hope. You know, we're like 23. We're not old, you know. Um, Spend a year doing it, go back to the doctor, nothing happened, and he's like, and he's a Christian himself. His name is Dr. Pugmire. Funny name, but phenomenal guy. Um, And he said you know, guys, I don't think you're ever going to get pregnant. It will take a miracle, an act of God. You, The three of us, we know this, you know. Um, I don't think it's going to happen for you. So, I mean, Lindsay and I obviously don't stop trying, um, which is great. But, you know, we spent the next... Yeah, yeah, definitely laugh. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, let me think. Hold on, just a minute. Yeah. So we spent the next like 18 months, you know, and we uh, get the job here at Faith Church, love it. Um, and then our first Christmas vacation, we fly down to Arizona to spend time with her family and grandparents. Um, and it was a great time. It was about a week. Um, and then on the plane ride back, we uh, we just looked at each other and just all of a sudden we're like, we're at peace if we're never going to have kids. Because so Daniel 3, 18, even if he doesn't, we had been reading that verse for years. And just over the past few months, it really started to click with us that this is one of those things that even if he never does, are we still going to worship him? And in the moment, we decided we were. And and for the first time ever, we were at peace. We're at like legitimately we were at peace with never having kids. And so we started to dream about like, okay, so we're not going to have kids. So let's, you know, we can go on more vacations. We can, you know, babysit other kids of all their friends. You know, we can invest in them as, you know, like aunt and uncle um, in ways that we couldn't if we we did have kids. Um, So, you know, we're dreaming all this wonderful stuff. You know, no kids. Um, And we had that for a week, so seven days. Um, And then I kid you not, a week later after that, we get, Lindsay gets a phone call from one of her friends from college and says, I am in touch with a mom who is seven months pregnant and wants to give their kid up for adoption. And so a lot of you know the story of where it goes on from here. Um, but March of last year, uh, we have Titus, our first son, um, in the middle of March and uh, an absolute miracle that never could have happened except for God. Um, and then God thinks he's funny, um, and has a lot of humor, which we believe he does. Um, but a little more than two months later, uh, we find out we're six weeks pregnant, um, which is another astounding miracle. And doing the math, it's like, I mean, we're talking like three or four weeks into having Titus that we got pregnant. Like, that is, that is only God. Like, there's nothing that can explain that besides God, um, And so, you know, we have Timothy this past January. Um, Yeah, so that is our story Um, with that. Um, And we believed having children was a mountain that was never going to move. We thought it was insurmountable. But we all know that God is a God of moving mountains. Amen. So my question for you is, what is your even if? What is your fiery furnace? But hear me say, by surrendering and coming to peace with whatever that is, it doesn't mean that God is going to miraculously take it away. But he does call us today and tomorrow and the next day to faithfulness and to worship of him alone. Okay, let's wrap up this story. Uh, let's go to verse 19 um, and see uh, how Nebuchadnezzar reacts to their response. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. So the king was so angry, he had them bound up. He didn't even just want to throw them in. He wanted to humiliate them as far and as much as he could by binding them up and just tossing them in. He said, I'm done with you, not even going to listen to you anymore. Threw them in bound. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, and I mean, this is just a genius response. True, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So, the men who threw him in, the fire was so hot, it incinerated the men in his army. Okay, so King Nebuchadnezzar gets up from his seat, looking past the pile of ash of his men, and sees four men inside the furnace, walking around, unbound, when he threw in three, tied up. And so, I'm sure he's thinking, like, did we not tie them hot enough, or tight enough Were the the knot's not done well? Is the fire not hot enough? Uh, What's going on here? And then taking a look at the end of verse 25, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Um, So this is interesting. Uh, We're not told exactly who this fourth person was, um, but the two main camps of thought are, one, it was an angel of God, God, um, or two, it was a Christophany, which is a fancy word for a, a physical appearance of Jesus Christ before his incarnation, so before his birth. So this is the year like 590-something. So we're talking almost 600 years before he was born. So the Christophany. And whichever it is, God saved him. He was with them in the fire. He undid their bindings, and he saved their life. So I think this is a beautiful example of what our salvation looks like. We know as Christians that we face death if we do not accept God's gift of free salvation. We, I mean, looking forward isn't the right word to look, to say, but I mean, all we look forward to is just the fires of hell. Like just straight up, that's it. That's, that's all there is to look forward to um, unless we accept God's free gifts of salvation. You know, his salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. And the cool thing is, um, you know, in the Bible we're told that we're bound by the chains of sin and death. And that we have no power to get rid of them by ourselves. Um, But, Jesus Christ, we know the story, came here to die on the cross, to die a sinner's death for you and me so that we may have life with him and life eternal. So God doesn't just save us from, from spiritual death and death of hell, but he un, undoes the, I don't know if that's a word, he undoes the, the chains that bind us to sin. We're no longer bound by the chains of our sin. Just like these men, that when they are thrown in bound and tied by men of his army, who I'm assuming were extremely strong, um, God breaks the chains. And we're told that their garments aren't even singed. Their hair doesn't, isn't burned. They don't smell like smoke. Like, in the midst of the fire, God undoes all their bindings and he's physically there with him. And it's the same for you and I. That when we're saved, God is there with us, even if we're still in the midst of the fire and he undoes everything that binds us here. All the sin that that controls us, we now have power over it through the power of his Holy Spirit. And if we're not using that, and if we're not acting like we're free, that's on us. Act like you're free. Because you are. You are free in Christ Jesus. So, let's finish up this chapter. I'm just going to Kind of blaze through it for the sake of time. Um, so the king uh, calls a men out of the furnace, saying, Servants of the most high God. Now let's, if we look back at Daniel 2, he says, O God of Daniel. And this one, he says, Servants of the Most High God. So he's still not saying, Oh, O God, you know, personally, you know, accepting that, okay, God is is He is the only God, He is the true God, He is the Most High. He still says, servants of the Most High God. So I'm going to get back to that just in a second. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And all of his servants gathered around, saw that nothing was singed, burned, or even smelled of smoke. Um, And then the king also says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and who set aside the king's command, his own command, and yielded up their body rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And then the king also promotes um, the three men, again, to a higher status. Um, And then he also makes a decree, which is definitely not godly, but is what the Bible says, uh, that anyone who does not serve the god of um, or who blasphemes the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Um, not the most godly response. Um, but, so from here on out, I encourage you to read uh, the rest of Daniel 4. Um, it's, a, it's a long chapter, but it's only one chapter. Um, to kind of see the rest of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, there's a redemption story in there. Um, because he he saw the um, he saw the interpretation of his dream from Daniel, and he said, "Oh God of Oh God of Daniel, like he's incredible, not you are incredible, but the God of Daniel is incredible." And then same thing with the fiery furnace; he sees this incredible miracle that puts all of King Nebuchadnezzar's power to shame, and he still says, "Oh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is incredible, not." personal relationship part so he's still not there yet but chapter four he gets there and it's kind of so it starts off by king nebuchadnezzar saying uh that i'm the greatest in all the land he's literally standing on the roof of his palace and saying look at everything i have like i am amazing i am the greatest king to ever exist and ever will exist um and god is like okay we need to change that attitude um and so you'll see what he does um the kind way of saying it is that God humbled him. Uh, the biblical way of saying it um, is that he humiliated him. Um, and so, but there's a redemption story in there. And so it took King Nebuchadnezzar to be brought to rock bottom before he recognized and humbled himself before God um, and that no man is greater than God Most High. Um, and so the, the, the message that we see in there is that God can humble the proud, and that he can exalt the humbled. It's a good story. Give it a read. So, uh, wrapping up, uh, I encourage you to wonder what your even if is, what your furnace is. Take a look at it. Find the courage. Ask God for the courage to give it over to him. I'm not saying that's going to fix everything. We know that. That is not the gospel that we preach. You know, but I am saying it is our job today and tomorrow and every other day to be faithful and to worship him alone. And even if he doesn't, we're still called to that. Think about that. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, we thank you for these men of old who have shown us a faith um, that sometimes we just can't comprehend. Um, in our nice life. Um, We're usually not under threat of death um, and threat of being burned alive, honestly, which is a horrible way to go. But Lord, you gave them the faith, and God, you saved them. You saved them from the furnace, and it shows us this, this faithfulness that they had to you and this commitment to only worshiping you alone, God. So we ask for that strength today to be faithful and to worship you. So God, uh, as we move into time of worship through music um, and and gifts and offerings, Lord, we just ask you to center our hearts on you. And as we take Lord's Supper today uh, by looking towards the cross and seeing your broken body and shed blood for us, remind us of what you've done, of your faithfulness, and your love for us and so many other things, God. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.